calling all women who are curious and called to be women warriors are rising in this day and age to heal and grow together. I'm your host, Jennifer Malcolm, self-made entrepreneur, women advocate, and life balance expert. Welcome to the next episode of the Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, where every woman has a story and every story matters. And as you're listening and it resonates, yes, this means you. Today, I have a friend I met a couple years back, Tracy Fisher. And uh, when we talk about people who you want to play with in the world, Tracy and I always say, I want to play with you. I want to play and live life with you. And I'm honored that you're here, my friend, today. Thank you. Honored to be here. Hey, and we've been we've been talking about this for about six months, I think. And we're finally <laughs> we're finally connecting to do this. So I'm excited. Me so, too. I have a short bio that I'm going to read uh, so that you as an audience can learn a little bit more about Tracy. And then we're going to jump right into her story. All right. So Tracy Fisher is a CEO of a health and wellness company, The Wellness Coach. Fisher has 20 years of experience providing wellness and well-being coaching for leaders and teams. She helps executives to master optimal health, energy, and performance so that they can achieve their personal and professional goals. She created a specific model and methodology designed to help leaders be the best version of themselves through self-coaching and achieve their optimal wellness and well-being, also known as well-beingness. Tracy also created Live Active a total body workout series, which I have done a workout series with her. So heads up, you might be uh, in for a kick-ass session (laughs) and is co-author of Lean Body, Smart Life and is working on her next book, The Healthier Leader. A former, so everyone note this because this is very unique, a former U.S. Army helicopter pilot and graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point. Tracy also is a proud mother of three. So welcome, Tracy, my friend. So excited to play with you today. I know, me too. To play. Let's play. 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 So it's funny because I know that we try to do this before Christmas and I sent Tracy a recording uh, date of like, hey, do you want to do this like December 21st? And you were like, "Uh, do you not know that's Christmas week? No, thank you. (laughs) And I was like, all right, we don't play now. And I loved your boundaries, but here we are navigating into February already and ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I want to start a little bit before we get into your story, mm-hmm. just uh, sharing with the audience why there is such a deep heart connect between you and I. We've not spent a lot of time together, but I feel like when we spend time together, it's very deep. It's very real. It's full of laughter. It's full of truth. It's full of truth telling. Mm-hmm. But we also have a very similar vision and heart around women and empowering women and equipping women and being an advocate and a facilitator of that. But I want from your lips to the audience's ear, just, you know, to talk about why there's a great alliance between you and myself. Well, I think you just said it, Jen, (laughs) right? You literally just said it. And I think it's interesting because literally when you were just talking, I could feel compassion and joy and love because, and, and even like a little teary-eyed, honestly, because like you are the real deal. Like you care passionately about helping people. And I think that when you meet somebody soul to soul and you know that you both are in it for the right reasons to help people be more of themselves and to be authentic and vulnerable and real that there's just like this kinetic connection immediately. And I love you. I think you are 
beautiful on the inside and out. Thank you. I've enjoyed getting to know you as my friend, my sister. I highly respect the work that you do and the impact that you're having on people's lives. And I just love that piece of synergy where there's ability to connect deep fast was just there and the ability to be real and authentic and truthful. And even sometimes when we don't want to hear the things that we need to hear, being able Mm -hmm. to say those things without offense. And maybe there's a little ping of like, ow, but it's all for good. And it's all for the betterment of each other. And I really respect you in that way. Right back at you, baby. Thank you, darling. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your personal and professional journey, because you know, there's not a lot of women in my life. I have a handful of women who Mm -hmm. were really in the military and took that career path and you were a pilot. And so that's really unique. So why don't you share with the audience a little bit, like how you even navigated to get into the army, the why behind it, and kind of a little bit about your, your career there. Well, it's interesting to talk about getting vulnerable right away because really what I want to be, what I want to say is, oh, I've always wanted to serve my country and duty on our country. And the truth is that my parents were divorced when I was in second grade. And um, I was just thinking back. It's interesting. My mom would always say to me, you are a size it girl. That's my maiden name. And you can do anything. And so I played soccer and both of my sisters went to the University of Virginia and I was headed there as well. And um, I got a postcard in the mail from West Point and they were recruiting for soccer players. And I was like, there is no way I am doing that. I did not know the difference between enlisted and an officer. I had no idea. And my mom literally reached in and pulled that postcard out of the circular file and said, just call them just do it, go for it. And then the other (laughs) slightly embarrassing part of that is I started the process and um, I overheard somebody say, she's too fat. She'll never make it. Wow. And then I was like, this is my mantra. You are not the boss of me. And that is really like the essence, you know, that's a double-edged sword right there. And so I went. And anyone who has been around Tracy, like you were one of the most fit, polished, put together, poised. Oh my goodness. You're gorgeous. I am so tired of hearing rudeness and unkindness out of people's lips and say things on the sly and on the down low and under their breath. And you're, Mm. you're, these words are resonating or you remember them. And I am so tired of unkindness. Like everyone can have their views. Mm -hmm. I'm open to people having their views and their opinions, but there's no reason for unkind. There's no reason for unkindness ever. For those of you that may not know, though, what is the difference between officer, enlisted, West Point versus just signing up for the Army, et cetera? Right. Okay. So when you enlist, my son is enlisted in the Air Force. He's back behind me. So (laughs) he's enlisted. We would call that the cheer force in the Army um, to make fun of them. Um, So if you enlist, you can go right out of high school. So you don't have to have a college education. To be an officer, you have to have a college education. And to be an officer, you can go through something called Officer Candidate School or ROTC, right? So that's a pathway to becoming an officer or you go to one of the academies. And so I went to the academy that will send you to the army. And then there's the Naval Academy and the Coast Guard Academy and the Air Force Academy. You're there for four years and then you get commissioned in the military, which means you become an officer when you get commissioned. Um, And then you, since I was in aviation, then I spent um, seven years, my commitment was six in, uh, in aviation and playing in that arena. And then I got out. 
what made you go into aviation? Because being a, a helicopter pilot is so unique. And so what made you navigate into the aviation in helicopter? Okay, so Jen, you're just like digging into all my not glory stories, right? <laughs> It's sexy as hell. Like that's a sexy job. I know. So I want to be like, oh, I always wanted to be a pilot. And that is not the truth either. The truth is that the way that they used to do it is that if you had a very, very high GPA, and I don't think that they do it like this anymore, then you could pick whatever branch you wanted to be in. And then when you're on the low end, then you could just got stuck with whatever you got stuck with. Now, I wasn't on the very low end, but I was like in the middle of my class. And for some reason, in the year of 91, aviation, by the time it got to the middle of the class, had not gone out. And so <laughs> that's why I picked it, because it was better than all the other things that were left. I loved it. Okay, so that was honest and real. I, you know, you could have just gone with it. It was sexy as hell, and I wanted. I know it was sexy. I always wanted to be a pilot. I know, I know. So you spent eleven years, though. So you said four years for the academy, seven years of serving. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're like that's a huge part of your early adulthood. I mean, I graduated from you know undergrad at twenty two, and then I kind of jumped into life. But this is a big commitment when you go this route. It is a big commitment. And I, and interestingly, you know, in 91, that was like when I was graduating the year before is when the Gulf War started. Right. And so, so it's interesting because up until then people were not really going to fight wars when they were graduating. But I do remember watching the first two aviators, they were warrant officers um, in desert storm get captured. Wow. And I, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, those guys were just kind of shooting the, mm -mm, you know, 24 hours ago. And now they are prisoners of war. Wow. Like it like really hit. So yeah. it is a commitment and it is, and I would have to say that nowadays and, and what people, when they, people are now entering the military and serving our country to me, like that, they, they know what they are getting into. No. And that is a difference because I think that that reality, I know my son looked into it when he was 16, 17, you know, potentially mm -hmm. going into the military and that as a mom's heart, like there's a piece that I'm so proud of. My dad was in, was a Marine, but there's another part that's like that has fear because the totally. world is so tumultuous right now and so uncertain that the likelihood of seeing or being in a situation where there is a potential harm is high. I appreciate you showing the dichotomy of what your reality was and then going into versus what commitment is now as well. Yeah. So you went all the way up to being a captain. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So I don't know again the ranking, but that sounds that sounds again sexy as hell. So okay, I, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Like, I'm so impressed. Like my my other friend Destiny, she was in the military and the Navy as well, and I'm just in awe of women who had a significant career, not just did four years and out, but had a career that that stayed in for ten plus years. Yeah. So um, thank you for your service. I just. Like, again, I look, I know you now, and I just, I can't see you in the military with your uniform. Was there a lot of women in military at the time that you were serving or no? So, you know, I don't know what the percentage was in terms of the army. I know that at West Point at the time it was 10% and I don't know what the numbers are right now. So in, it was even less in aviation. I remember, I think there were two women in our battalion. So yeah, it was pretty 
yeah, it was, it was a little unbalanced in terms of the ratio for sure. Yeah. Did you, did you feel that tension between being a female and having, you know, 98% uh, male ratio or was it, Hey, we're all on the same team and we're good to go. You know what? I think the answer to that was it really depended on the individual standing in front of me. Right. It's just like, it's it's almost like when you think of just anything like teachers or bankers or, you know, whomever it's, it's, it was very much, um, individually based. I do remember at West Point, like marching along, um, and seeing older graduates, like kind of whispering or, you know, like giving like funny looks, but I never really, to be honest with you ever, um, probably depending on my mood, didn't really take that personally because I really was proud to be there and I knew that it was the right thing and that it would just take a little while for the culture. You know, those guys grew up with Leave it to Beaver and so did we, right? And it was just, I, I, I knew that it was going to take some time for the culture to catch up with the with the rightness of it. So, um, so yeah, so I did experience it a little bit. I had, you know, there was some sexual harassment and things like that um, as well. So I think that that's tough um, for any woman right now in a professional setting. And I, and I appreciate that because it does go back to the person that you're interacting with because we can interact with 10 people and have no issues. And then you have one asshole that comes along right. and, and it ruins, you know, and, and spoils the, the experience or impacts the experience. Mm-hmm. And so to know like it is an individual and it's not necessarily a culture thing. Right. I look at you as a very highly emotionally intelligent and self-aware woman. Is that something that has always been a part of you? Or do you feel like you've grown into that through your experiences, through your work, through you know, reading, studying, cultivating, practicing, or were you always pretty self-aware and kind of that front end of the curve? Yeah, that's definitely a growth process. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's still ongoing, right? I think that that's the whole point of being here on this planet is to continue to grow. Like that's our essence. I think that that pull, um, and it's interesting because that's part of the wellness and well-being piece is that I think that underneath, no matter what people are telling themselves, that they, they want to be more and experience more and grow. I think that that's a natural way of being. So yes, so that is definitely a product of studying cognitive behavior and implementing it. I tease my children a little bit and say, you know, sorry, I didn't really grow up mentally until the third child. We're all a work in progress. So much. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree because I feel like my, I, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday and I feel like my evolution and we were talking, you know, about people and being judged for what they did or didn't do 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and how vastly different of a person I am mm. 10, 15 years later, you know, I, I got divorced 12 years ago. I'm a vastly different person, uh, right. just self-aware, confident, you know, those insecurities and things that eat away, you know, at your heart as, you know, as, as, for me for 25, 26, 27 years old. 30 years mm-hmm. old, that, that it is intentionality. And, mm-hmm. and I hope that people look at my life and don't judge me by choices that I made at mm-hmm. age 30, 32. I'm sure they still do. Mm-hmm. But I also see a woman who has transformed and has become more self-aware and self-confident. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that you work with women in this regard as well. So mm-hmm. what tools do you give or encourage women Mm-hmm. You either self-identify in a mirror, like let's look at the reflection and the beautiful woman you're becoming, 
Mm -hmm. or getting over that stagnation part of being bogged down in our past or our past shame? I think that the first thing that I would say is that um, our past really only exists in our heads and the way that we think about it. And so we always have the opportunity to make an incident mean something else. Now, we, of course, we always have that opportunity in the present moment as well, uh, some, you know, including the number on the scale or whatever is going on in a relationship. Like We are the ones who get to give it meaning. And I think that that's one of the most important things that I teach. I have a very specific model that I use. And at the very front of it, it's an acronym. At the front is an X, and, and I call it X marks the spot. And it's a part of that well-beingness model. And what I teach people is that X is neutral. And a lot of people go, what? No, there's no way. How can that be neutral? And I get that that is a very hard pill to swallow, but that includes your past, everything. That's a really hard one. And it's interesting because my father... Just got a little choked up. Just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Talk about being vulnerable. Jen, you are really good at this. This is my my space. Yeah, this is your space. Yeah. So this is what I want to say is that my father passed away in May and he passed away unexpectedly. I mean, he had um, cancer, but it was very, very fast. So there are so many stories that I can tell around his his passing and um, and I get, I'm the one who gets to decide, you know what? I'm going to be sad today. I'm going to miss daddy today. Like I just feel like being sad. And there are other days when I, I choose to really enjoy his life and to think in different ways. And in there are moments, right? It goes from moment to moment. But the key is, and this sounds really harsh, but that his death is neutral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that we know that it's neutral is it means something different to me than yeah. it means to his wife to my sister, to you, to other people, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have meaning, but what it means is that I'm the one who gets to assign the meaning. And that is a very powerful place to be, very powerful. I get to be sad if I want. I get to be angry. I get to be filled with joy. I get whatever I want. I get and whatever. I've never heard that expressed or defined in that way. And I think it's powerful because when you say like your past doesn't matter, and it's, it's the narrative that we run in our own mind. It's the story that we've created that that was bad or that was not good or I feel ashamed or I shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, billion, you know, seven point whatever billion people on the earth don't care. Like they have no, right. they have no awareness or even care what I did 10 years ago. And so for the handful of people that may be aware of something that wasn't my best moment, I give it meaning or I give them power over me to say, oh, I should feel bad or I should feel shame or I should feel guilty when mm-hmm. we have the power to put that X up and say, all right, that, that doesn't define me. Mm-mm. And this place in my life is an X neutral. Right. And the other thing is, is it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that you get to make it matter or not. You get to choose. So I want to be really clear that I'm not saying that, you know, things that happen to people or, you know, different events or whatever, that, that, that they, I'm not saying that they don't matter. What I am saying is that you have the power to decide how they matter awesome. and what you're going to do with them and what you're going to do with it. That's awesome. Which I think is 
Like, that's like a magic wand. It is a magic wand. So how do you get people and women to get to that space of even being able to A, understand? Because I'm, you know, I'm wrapping my brain around this and going, I, I study this stuff all the time and I'm, my, my wheels are turning. Yes, how do you get right. people to A, adopt or even begin to understand it, but then transition to really believing and putting that activation in place? So everything I do is in threes. I love the number three. And so the process that I use, I call it the 3D methodology. And so even though, in, you know, the engineer in me and the, you know, things have to be in a particular order is part of this model. And so the first piece is discovery and, and discovering what is and doing that from a place of curiosity and compassion versus being critical, right? So to discover what is and to witness, what am I thinking about this? And, oh, I didn't even know that I was talking to myself that way or, or just to be really curious. So that's kind of the first piece in learning to just um, understand that it is what it is and that we just are watching it to just be really curious about our lives. And then the second step step is to design like, okay, so now I used to make that mean that I was a victim and that doesn't serve me. So I'm going to design a different thought around it or a different emotion around it. And then the third step is like where all the work is, is I call it dare. So it goes discover, design, and then dare. And it used to be discover, design, do. And I changed it to dare because when we dare (laughs) to practice, to look inside our own heads and our own bodies and our own past and our own present and take responsibility, like that's it. That takes courage to look in, to be vulnerable, to speak your truth. So that is the practice. So that's kind of what I do with people is to just say, first of all, be very gentle with yourself. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not, I'm not going to let you bullshit you or me. And I'm going to love you through it the whole way because, and this kind of takes me back to once I got out of the military, one of the things I wanted to do was to become a minister. And so I, I was a um, studied as a prayer chaplain for a while and studied prayer. And the idea of when somebody walks up in front of you and they tell you that they're having an affair or that their father just died or that their kid, you know, whatever is going on, that the intention was to first and foremost, to see what we would call their Christ self. And you can call it whatever, their pure essence or whatever you want to call it. And to see that and to speak from that. And so... That is exactly how I see everybody. So whatever, whatever politics or rudeness is coming out of their mouth, first and foremost, I want to see like that their essence and their their goodness, their which their their spirit first and foremost. That's beautiful. And my follow up question, I was jotting this down as you were talking about this. Your your three steps mm-hmm. is this through you know, one-on-one coaching? Is this through, hey, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to journal. Are we talking about this? You know, what type, what does, or maybe it looks different for each person because each person may react differently. Mm -hmm. And is it like, hey, it's going to take me three months to do this discovery piece and really dig into how I view myself and and going Mm -hmm. through the steps? Or is it like, hey, we're going to go through this in one hour and hit all those and then we'll dive deeper the next time like how does that look typically I know I'm sure there's atypical but how does that typically look for you right so (laughs) so my well-beingness model is wellness plus well-being and so the wellness piece is all of that what are the things that we need to do to take care of the physical organism whether we're fueling resting moving our body or meditation or what are the actions that we need to take to take care of the the organism of our body and our brain 
And then the well-being piece is what is the, the rest of us, right? Your essence, your thoughts, and your emotions. And so what I do is, you know, I've inter, interlaced both of those through basically the equivalent of a six-step process. And so the first process is um, discovering your vision and figuring out, you know, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be first? And then we identify specific results, mental, emotional, physical, health, energy, performance. And then we figure out where the X is, where, where you are currently. And then we design a wellness plan. We design a well-being plan. And then we practice the whole thing together. So that's the, the logistics and the framework that I use when I'm coaching people. And so it is different for different people. If I start with the vision and someone, someone immediately starts talking about um, really wanting to lose weight, then we put the vision to the side for a second and talk about, okay, what is your result? And then I always bring it back to the vision. So that may be more detailed than you wanted. I'm you know, absorbing this like a sponge and I want the audience to really understand the work that you do. Because you really do holistic approach. You're not just looking at a physical body saying, okay, we, we want to get stronger. We want to get thinner. We want to do, you know, work on our core. You're not just looking at the mental aspect of mental health. You're not looking just at the professional aspect. You're looking at the entire person as a whole, which mm-hmm. I think is very unique for, for a lot of coaches because a lot of coaches go niche Mm-hmm. to one or two of those areas and mm-hmm. yes we may touch points on yes here's the overflow but that's not my specialty and I right. love the work that you do is holistic that mm-hmm. you're looking at body mind soul spirit past present future mm-hmm. and helping people to identify and to discover themselves in that process as well yeah and I think you just hit the nail on the head at the very end um, to discover themselves like that literally is it I was just speaking with somebody yesterday and I was, it was a call, he, it was a potential client call. And he was telling me about all the things that he wanted or that he, that, that were going on in his life. And then I, and then he, and then we, what we all end up doing is we end up saying, what is wrong? And so I said, okay, well, what do you want? And then he kept going on and on and he would start. And then he went off to what was wrong. And then I said, okay, one more time. What do you want? <laughs> Who do you want to be? And that is a discovery because as leaders and um, adults, we are, are naturally inclined to look for what is wrong. That's part of our survival mechanism. So the first piece is, you know, discovering who you want to be, like right. you, who you want to be, not what somebody else wants you to be, or you think you should be, but who do you want to be? And sometimes people are like, huh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, and I think that's so impactful because we either get bogged down with the shit from our past or we get bogged down of what we should be. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be. And so it's that self-shaming piece of what I do is not good enough. And so mm-hmm. therefore women especially are horrible at self-care. We're mm-hmm. horrible at self-love. We're horrible at taking time for ourselves because it's either the past is screaming in our head or the should, should, should is screaming in our head. Right. And that being piece, that discovery piece, and then that activation piece mm-hmm. doesn't go. That yeah. are living a life that is not who we're created or meant to be. And that never, and that goes all the way back to what you were talking about at the beginning in terms of evolving and growing. I feel like you have your own little droplet of what you were supposed to bring to this world so that you feel fulfilled. And when we don't, when we're, this is what I like to say, don't, no shooting on yourself, <laughs> right? No shooting. And as soon as you hear that, I should, 
let's figure out where that's coming from. It is very different than I want or I choose. Very much so. And it was interesting because in my business group last week, I had one of my colleagues, they were talking about how he missed the opportunity because he reads to his daughter every night and Mm. he was really tired. He was really tired that night. And, you know, a half hour later, he was like, you know, I probably should go read with her. Mm-hmm. And when he went to her, she's like, no, daddy, that's okay. Like, it's fine. I know you're tired. And mm-hmm. he was guilt ridden all night because he missed this opportunity with his daughter. And again, right. that narrative is in his own head. His okay. daughter is probably like, cool. I have another half hour to myself or, you know, it, you know, and again, it's, it's not saying that if he did that every night that she wouldn't be impacted, but on right. one night it's a blip in her radar and he lamenting over this and feeling guilty because he should have done it. And we self-shame and self-guilt ourselves. I think it's just, first of all, I think it's human because we all have brains and there is that um, limbic part of our brain, right? That fight or flight part of our brain that is always looking out, right? For what's going wrong. And we want to have that part of our brain. And that's the part of our brain in our past that may have said, you know, in order for you to be good enough, you have to get good grades or um, in order, make sure this is an interesting thing. I think a lot of, um, I've heard a couple of times this week is I need to get mine. If I don't eat really fast or if I don't get the treat really fast, then I grew up in a family where I wouldn't get it. So there's this training that has gone on that is unconscious and that happens whether you are a man a woman you know doesn't matter American whatever it doesn't matter because we all have brains and then the trick is to instead of um, using you know willpower or discipline to keep hitting that back is to hear it and to welcome it and say hey what is going on what are what are you what is the need that you are trying to meet and let's sh- let's figure out another way to meet that need. I have a better idea. Come with me. And so it's almost like this integration of both your limbic brain and your prefrontal cortex, and 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 bringing them together. The angel and the devil on the shoulder, and saying, yeah. "Okay, what is the devil saying? Why why is the devil telling me that I'm fat or that I'm ugly or I'm not good enough? What is going on?" And every time I go through a coaching session with somebody, it almost always boils down to I'm not good enough or some kind. Of tribal, tribal, you know, I don't speak my mind because I won't be a part of the tribe. I'll be kicked out of the cave. I'll be all alone. But that's a primal fear, right? It's real. And I love that you're, that you're saying specifically to not bat that down, because I think that we say, I don't have time for that. It's not important. I I, I don't, you know, like I I physically don't want to deal with, et cetera. And you're saying to do the opposite, actively pull it forward, acknowledge Mm -hmm. it, and then work on what's the replacement and how can we heal in that space, which right. is very, very different than what a lot of us do of just pushing it back, pushing it down, ignoring it. And it keeps popping up year after year after year. And we wonder why we, why we are still dealing with the same issues totally. years later than we have been. And that's why the third step is dare, daring to practice. Because as soon as you bring that up, you a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, I've been creating this this whole time. And that's that's also, then we can beat ourselves up about that. So we have to be really careful to be curious and compassionate with ourselves as we go through this. And I like the word dare because dare has that allurement. You know, it's like that a double dog dare you to do something because it, it's it exciting. exciting. It gets that excitement and that activation um, versus like I have to do something that mm-hmm. reiterates the power is within us totally. to change that narrative, to change mm-hmm. that outcome, to mm-hmm. rewrite the script and to become different people. 
Yeah. And the thing that I want to add on to that is for people not to be frustrated if the old script keeps coming back because it is literally the the chemistry in your brain. It is the training that you have created. That It's a neurological pattern in your brain. It's a habitual thought. So when, and this is one of the things that I work with is if we're going to change a bridge thought. So for example, if somebody starts to realize that every time they walk by a mirror, they say, oh my God, you're disgusting to themselves. So to change that thought, an affirmation would be, oh, you're, I'm, I'm beautiful or whatever. Here's the thing. If you don't believe that, that is not going to work. Right, right, right. It's going to be like total BS. Yep. You're like blah, blah, blah in the back of your head. So what we do instead is if, if you can change the narrative to maybe something like I have a body and people are like, okay, fine. I'll start saying I have a body. So then literally the energy in your body, you, you create emotions by your thoughts. The physiology is now no longer cortisol and adrenaline, but maybe just what it was before you walked in front of the mirror. And so those are baby steps. And if you walk by again and, and you say you're ugly again in the mirror, just go, Oh, there it is. There's that thought. No, nope, that's not true. And you just do that over and over and over again. I mean, it's the same as a Pavlovian experiment, right? It's yeah. just do it over and over. So we were trained to think that and we just are untraining and it takes time. It's going to take time. This is not going to be a one session. Let me get this all down on paper. Let me be aware. And tomorrow I'm going to be better. It's a practice. It's going to be a practice and you're going to, we're going to mess up and we're going to pull back some of the old uh, language and feelings. And it's Mm -hmm. a practice to reposition, change the narrative, put a new mantra on it and move forward. Totally. So I have a, I have a question. So, and you're, we're going to go a little bit vulnerable here, but what are some of the things that you really had to overcome in your life Mm -hmm. that, that really gave you hey, this, this works. So I know that there are people that, hey, you've not had much trauma or triggers or mm-hmm. issues. And so you've had an easy road, but mm-hmm. I know that you've struggled with some things and you know, what, to what extent you're, you're willing to share with the audience, what are some of those things that you had to overcome and change that mantra and story in your mind in order to really step into the work that you're doing now? Yeah. So the biggest one I will have to tell you is I was at what I'll call the height of my fitness career. Right. And so I had done a DVD, had really low body fat, um, and was teaching multiple classes a day. I had, you know, my thriving company, um, you know, the, the big house and the 17 year marriage and the three kids and everything looked beautiful on the outside. I looked like I totally had it going on. I was, way over drinking red wine at night. And (laughs) I was a closet candy eater. (laughs) My favorite candy. Okay. Get this. No judging (laughs) candy corn. Like, Oh, ew. (laughs) Sugar, sugar. If you would have said a rich piece of dark chocolate, I would have been right with you. Candy corn. No, I'm telling you like, uh, my ex-husband used to buy like these big sweet tarts. Those were my favorite thing. I would eat those three or four at a time. Right. So, so honestly I would be teaching classes and I would show up and I would be not feeling good from drinking too much red wine. Right. And I would go teach a class. I cannot tell you how many times I would be in that bathroom (laughs) at the community center thinking, I'm never going to do this again. What is wrong? So that was between me thinking, okay, it's one thing to look healthy and to have health, quote unquote, and it is a whole nother thing to be healthy and to be healthy in your mind. And my marriage was falling apart and I just was not happy. And so that's when 
I went back to school and wanted to and began to study all of the cognitive piece and how does how does behavior change happen and and then that's how I figured out that um, there's a difference between making something work and I'm talking about my marriage now making it work or being happy in it and then deciding that you want to leave because you just don't want it anymore and so I went through the process of becoming happy myself. And um, really uh, learning, like being authentic. And then I decided, hmm, I don't want to, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And that's okay. I could be happy here, but I don't want it. And I love though, that you discovered part of that confidence, opinion, stance while you were in it. And you were able to say, I could stay here, but I choose no longer to be here. Right. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and also, by the way, don't get me wrong. That's that uh, same story, right? It's still very hard. We think that we have so much control over other people's emotions, <laughs> <laughs> right? And just like we have control over our own, our own emotions with our thoughts, so do they. And so we are not in charge of their emotions. And at some point, um, actually that even includes, it's interesting for parenting is that, you know, we, we see a lot of helicopter parenting because we don't want our children to feel bad. And so we're managing their emotions for them instead of teaching them how to think so that they can manage their own emotions. And, yeah. and we have similar age kids. So I know that we're, we're tracking along similarly, mm-hmm. you know, that transition to raising adult children, right. Years with them being a mentor and a friend versus an authoritarian over them that's a big transition and Mm -hmm. people have asked like how you know how are you doing in that and for me the shared parenting Mm. actually helped me with the releasing Mm -hmm. of my adult children because Mm -hmm. I only had my kids half time and so I knew when they were with my ex-husband and their dad they were fine they were healthy they were happy they were safe and so now when I go, when they go off to college or they go do their thing, I had that same mantra. They're fine. They're healthy. They're strong. They're safe. They mm-hmm. may mess up. They may make mistakes, but so do I every day. So right. you know, it's, it's, right. that, it's that piece. So there, there are gifts in that. Yeah. And to remember that their lives belong to them. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that part sometimes. <laughs> I always tell Paige. So Paige is a freshman at college. And she skipped the fifth grade. So she really should be a senior this year at, at mm-hmm. school. And I'm like, can we just go back and redo the fifth grade? And then you can go to college next year. That would be delightful. Oh, that would be delightful. So I want to spend the last little bit of time just really talking a little bit more about your work. Uh, I know that you use words such as the difference between wellness and well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people exchange those in the same manner. How mm-hmm. do you see those two words being different? So I have to tell you, I made up my own definitions on purpose because (laughs) there are so many variations. And when I was studying, I I was just like, okay, I was feeling really confused in the same way that there are so many different ways to (laughs) get fit. So to be clear, when I say wellness, I'm talking about physical health, energy, and performance. Physically, if I have a broken ankle, my performance will be different than if I don't have a broken ankle or if I have a chemical issue, you know, with my hormones, that is a physical thing. So I call that wellness and it's almost, I like it because it allows people to separate their being and their essence from their body, which is really big on the body shaming and thinking, thinking that the number of your weight is who you are. 
Yeah. So that's the wellness piece. So we do things to take care of the organism of our body, including our brain. So we may meditate, you know, um, to create chemicals, more oxytocin in our body. So we're doing that on purpose. And then the well-being piece is, as I said before, there's so much information about different areas of well-being and different ways to get to well-being. And I just narrowed it down to your mind and how you're thinking and your emotions, because that's pretty much all we have control over, our thoughts, our emotions, and what we do with it. So, yeah. So I took all of this information and just basically narrowed it down into those three areas. Yeah. And interestingly, so if you think about it like this, I talk a lot about the TEA cycle. And it basically is the idea that your thoughts create your emotions always, and then emotions um, will give you uh, the energy to create your actions until it becomes an unconscious habit. I don't have to have an emotion about brushing my teeth. When I'm trying to create a new action, I start with my thoughts and then I go to my emotions and, and actions. So that's the intersection. I think that's a very long-winded answer to wellness, well-being, well-beingness. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And and I think that piece that realizing your mo- like I I'm a high intuitive and I have mm-hmm. high emotion, but mm-hmm. the, the real and some of it's unconscious. But the reality is there is conscious behavior and thought patterns that I can also do to mature some of that, Mm -hmm. to uh, navigate some of that, Mm -hmm. and also not allow wounds or triggers from my past to unhealthily express that where there is a a high emotion to a small problem. I love that you said that the thoughts also help lead emotions because Mm -hmm. even as a high intuitive or high emotional compassionate person there are systems tools practices to also be in control of emotions and to help navigate those as well so what i'm really specifically talking about is that an emotion is literally a physical sensation in your body right it's a physiological sensation in your body and so an emotion is i believe always triggered by a thought. Now the thought may be unconscious and that's why we want to bring it to the beginning. So I just had somebody say to me, well, what about snakes? I jump out of the way. I'm feeling scared. I'm not, there's no thought involved. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. You just aren't aware of it because you're, the thought is snakes are dangerous. It's just been relegated to the backside of your brain. Right. So there is a thought you may not be aware of it, but there is always a thought. And that's kind of part of the practice, which is very different than kind of picking up on other people's energy. Right. No, And I like that piece because I, again, I'm a high feeler. I pick up energy. I um, am very compassionate, empathetic person. Mm -hmm. And, and I love that part about me. I love that part, but I also don't want to have it to control me where that it is an unhealthy response or I don't have my wall up where I can leave people's shit behind and not pick up their pain or not pick up their suffering or not pick up their, their story where there is a a shield, a healthy, you know, boundary around. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you're distinguishing between those two things as well. And then, you know, the other thing I wanted to say about that, Jen, is that I think the other thing that, that, 
a lot of the women that I work with, I've seen this more in women than I have in men is that they very quickly try to not have the emotion. They don't want to be too emotional or, you know, cry or I was just talking to somebody who said she was feeling choked up in a board meeting and she doesn't want to cry in a board meeting. I'm like, fine, whatever tool you need to use to put on the face and do, do what you choose to do in that meeting, then you do that. And that emotion has to play, like comes from somewhere. So we don't want to push that away either. We want to say, okay, why, what is going on? Like, why am I so emotional? What am I thinking? Absolutely. Am I making it mean? There was one more piece that we, in our discovery with you, we're talking about of when people look outside themselves and compare themselves with other people and the tendencies to try to find external answers and to chase after answers versus sometimes just silencing our mind and the body and trusting that all the answers are within. How would you facilitate that conversation with someone when you're trying to look outside for those answers and, and results? I love this quote. It's called comparison is the thief of joy. And it's interesting because we are physical organisms that are that are born and have brains that do want to connect with people, right? So there's this, how do I connect with other people and how, and a lot of times it's, let me be like them. Let me be part of their circle, right? So, so then we try to kind of morph ourselves to be a part of their circle. So I think that there's a balance of that and having empathy and putting ourselves in other people's shoes and understanding and kind of going outside of ourselves. So I think that there's immense value in that. Like you are an expert at that. <laughs> and sometimes it takes a lot of window cleaning to, to really get underneath there and see what is true for you. And I know that's the work that you're doing yeah. is for people to embrace who they are. Absolutely. I like to say, who do you be? Who do you want to be? Yeah. People are like, my kids are driving me crazy. I'm yelling at them. I want to stop yelling. That's what you want to do. Who do you want to be? I want to be loving. So you do that, be that, and then you do from there. That's when you see the results. That's when you you transition and transform Mm -hmm. versus like, well, I want to stop yelling. Then start loving. So put on, you know, put off and put on. So I had this conversation yesterday and I'd love your thoughts on it. Where the the difference between uh, surrendering where you're at Mm -hmm. versus striving where you're at. I know when I work hard, I'm working hard on the Genesis Speaks movement. I'm working hard and I know that I have to do work. I have to show up. I have to write. I have to create. But at what point do you say, you know what? I have to stop striving for results, striving Mm -hmm. for engagement. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have to work, Mm -hmm. but I also just need to surrender and trust that timing is right. The, the people coming in will be right. Mm -hmm. And all is already created. I I love your thoughts on that because it's that striving and work hard, but Mm -hmm. at one point you just have to surrender. Right. So it's interesting because one of the words uh, or the phrases (laughs) is have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And so what I think what you were saying is that in order to achieve this result, I'm choosing to do this, right? Because I really want to grow in this particular way. So that's already a shift in the story. And the shift is, again, who you're being and and you come from. Where are you coming from? And so one of them, you're either coming from a place of victim or a place of responsibility. 
And so you're come from when we are like, I have to, I got to do this. I have to do this. It's because I don't have it yet. So I'm almost a victim to my circumstance. Like I don't have it yet. And in order for me to be better, I have to get it, which is very different than I know my worth. I know who I am and that it is already created. As you said, I totally believe that. I know my value and I choose to go get that shit. I'm getting it. And then to piggyback on that is when we arrive somewhere. So we're working hard. We're, we're, we're going, going, going. And we, we do finally get to where we want to be from a responsibility and beauty part, not from a victim part. Mm-hmm. That I tend, my tendency is to not celebrate the moment and not rest in the moment. And yeah. almost like, all right, well, I did that. So what's the next? The, what's the next initiative? What's the next marathon? What's the next book? I would love for you to, to hear what your thoughts of like, why don't we just celebrate and rest? Why is it an immediate for a lot of people to jump onto the next thing? Yeah, I think that that really comes from the same thing that we were talking about in terms of our brain, right? Looking for, looking out, like uh, what's next? You know, what is my next, what, what is the next thing that I need to hunt or to conquer or to gather? Like what what is the next thing? And so sometimes that feels like exhaustion and I'm not celebrating and being in the moment. And then sometimes it's like, what next amazing thing are we going to do? It's interesting because the three things for the wellness side is fueling. It's all about energy, fueling your energy, giving yourself energy, resting, and then moving. And so I think what you're talking about is that if we are moving, 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 and never resting or celebrating or fueling, then that will feel totally out of whack. And I hear a lot of people when we start off coaching conversations, all right, tell me what was great. Like what went really well? And somebody say, well, I lost four pounds or I haven't had alcohol in an entire month or, and, but you know what? Immediately, (laughs) but what didn't go right. And so literally it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, the way that we've trained our brains and say, okay, so we'll talk about that in a second. Tell me a little bit more about your victory. Like, that's good. How amazing is that? It feels so good to sit in that. And by the way, it's also healthy. So I have, I have a few popcorn type questions for you as we wrap this. Who inspires you? Who inspires me? Do you know what? So many people inspire me. I will have to tell you that you inspire me, right? I have a couple of friends who are walking the walk or being their best selves. So that's inspiring to me. I'm very inspired by Oprah. I think that she is the, the ultimate walking walk. Renee Brown, I think, does that as well. So I think all of those women uh, are inspiring to me, and um, and then the, and then people like you and my friends who are who are doing the walk, right? Be in the walk. Yeah. If you could do anything on a Friday night. What would that be? If I could do anything on a Friday night, I would go. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to go to a beach. And have a picnic on a beach, <laughs> and I've never ridden a horse on a beach. <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Can I do that on a Friday night and Saturday and Sunday? <laughs> what is something that you want to accomplish or yeah, yeah. to experience in 2021? So this is going to sound a little corny, but I'm working with my coach on this, and 
being what we just were talking about is that in those moments, so I'm, I'm writing a book and I'm doing a healthy leader on online program and all the same things that you are like creating things in the world. And I also am practicing remembering who I am in the midst of that. So for 2021, I'm literally trying to spend more time in the space of knowing who I am and coming from that place, no matter what is going on. And that is, that's literally my life's work as in my profession and as my life's work. And I want, I'm going to piggyback on that because I want to surround myself with people who want to also do that. Because when you're in that community of people that are trying to accomplish and, and, and have their vision in the same direction and maybe different viewpoints and vantage points, but it makes my heart come alive because when I'm down, I know that four of you are up and you're going to be like, you're, you still got it. You saw like chin up, chin up, chin up. You're, you're on, you know, and that encouragement and that community piece to me is I'm finding more and more important where mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm doing this work alone or I have to overcome this alone or I have to be alone. And there mm-hmm. is a beautiful part being comfortable in your own skin and your own silence and, mm-hmm. and your own essence. But to also have that community around that says, I'm here to encourage and equip and fight alongside you as well. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's one of the reasons I love, love, love the work that you are doing. You, I used to call this um, having a, a friend or somebody around you who can see your truth, almost like that unity prayer chaplain is God with skin on somebody who sees who you are, even when you can't and who can create with you and help you hold your vision. When you're like, are you kidding? I just recorded this whole podcast and I didn't even push play. Right. (laughs) You are creating that community, which is why I, uh, that is not my uh, sweet spot. That's the other thing I'm creating is connecting with people in a different way. Uh, I do, in the past, up until now, I have not played well with others, right? And so, right? So being vulnerable and being real and being in a community like this and, and being able to say things like that. And I think the beautiful part about that is to be able to say it and know that you're in a safe environment. So you totally. need not necessarily agree with my stance my position my thoughts but it doesn't change your love for me that doesn't change your life for me that doesn't change how you respect me and I think that culture and community is something vastly different that women are craving where they can be truly seen truly Mm -hmm. known not judged and loved and I hope that my position on some things change because me cultivating and learning and growing from other perspectives is Mm -hmm. only going to make me a better human being woman wife mom etc and I think that piece of iron sharpening iron and peeing together is so imperative and it's unique and I think that aspect is what this movement is about of creating this culture of women being seen being known being loved period Love it. Amen. So, so what do you have in the works coming up or how someone could engage with you? Yeah. So the easiest way to engage with me is to go to www.thewellness.coach. I thought I was being creative. Dot coach, right? Not dot com. So that's the easiest way. And then you could, there's a couple of different options within there. Um, I definitely recommend for people to um, download the Healthy Leader Exactly What to Eat checklist because it takes all of this crazy information about what we should be eating and puts a nice little clean framework on it, which is what I like to do. <laughs> and then I did want to give a gift. There's a little seven minute. I don't know, you can call it a meditation. I call it the leadership meditation. And it's about uh, being and who you choose to be in the day. 
And so I'd like to, I'll give you a link to that as well for people. It's seven minutes. It's just a easy um, meditation. Tracy's here in Cleveland with me. I haven't seen her since I think we golfed last, last uh, fall, but she's one that I get these happy voice recordings, the <laughs> fun video recordings. I can literally text her and be like, uh, this women's movement thing is for the birds because I just, I'm not getting anywhere. And she'll call and she'll lift my head up and give me perspective. And so I just really honor who you are in my life. And I'm so excited because I still feel like our relationship is green and new, even though it's deep with good roots. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, I'm looking forward to how this unfolds. Eager, I'm going to surrender and not strive. I'm going to be intentional, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm really excited to see how our work and our lives continue to play off of each other and grow together. And I honor you as a friend. Thank you. I, I, you know, I, I just want to say ditto and Jen, the work that you are doing is amazing. It is so delightful to watch you do your thing. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. I really appreciate it. And I have to say this one last note, because if you ever sit in one of Tracy's workshops, which I, which I had the privilege to do this fall and women, you're going to laugh, but she, you know, actually talks about women's orgasms from the front of the room. <laughs> And I think every woman in that room kind of leaned forward, like she just said that in a public manner and like, oh, hell yes. So Tracy is going to make you laugh, make you cry, make you feel inspired, make you hopeful. And I think that's the beautiful part because she's just real. And I love the work that you're doing. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. You're welcome. Thanks everyone for tuning in today. I am so honored to have my friend Tracy here with you today and just sharing her story. And I'm uh, beaming, she's beaming because I just feel like this energy is so glorious. And we hope that this flows out to you as well. Mm -hmm. And I will have the information for Tracy's how to get a hold of her, her programs, the seven minute meditation on our website and links to hers. So get engaged and let's be together. All right, ladies, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Speaks podcast. If you love the show, one of the best things you can do is to share it with a friend. Tell them what you like about it, how it inspires you, and invite them to listen. Subscribe to the Genesis Movement to empower women's voices and reclaim the power over your own narrative.